KCFAM Radio 950 now brings you the Lawn and Garden Journal. Get your questions ready. Our toll-free line is open, 1-800-374-3315. Now, here's your host, Carla Hersina from St. Mary's Nursery and Garden Center. Good morning, everyone. Welcome. We are listening to the Lawn and Garden Journal And I'd like to welcome everyone, all the gardeners from far and near. I know you're all listening. This morning, it was beautiful. The sun came up and I was awakened by the sound of an owl. Yes, I think we are, we have an owl back uh, close to home. So the soft resonant sound of this owl. But as the morning day broke, I think the melody and the collection of all the different sounds of birds. It was so diversified in their song, I think they knew that it was going to be a beautiful day to be outside. So they prepared us for the music of their joy to the sunny day ahead of us. And, yes, we're going to be able to get into our gardens, maybe not do too much work, but we'll be able to enjoy and sort of plan to garden. So today, gardening is for all ages, young and old. I found this cute little poem and as I inspire to maybe have my granddaughter's garden with me, I found a poem called, I want to be a gardener. I want to be a gardener to learn the thrift industry, to make the earth giggle with beautiful flowers. I want to be a gardener, vigor and freedom to addict, careful and watchful to trim and prune and thinning crown. I want to be a gardener, kindle the earth with my fingers, toil it until it is ready, with no broken or dead feelings. I want to be a gardener, birds as my guest, welcome the wink and blink of butterflies, honeybees to drink the honey too heartfelt. I want to be a gardener's, to see the squirrels and monkeys eat and enjoy, weed off the threats and danger, happiness and Mary spread. I want to be a gardener, birth of innocent flowers, pink of roses, marigold challenges the sun, lavender mist, hibiscus in various hues, long-lasting laughter among the Almighty, decorated the pots of my soul. You are listening to the Lawn and Garden Journal for Saturday, April 17th. We are on the cusp of getting back into our gardens. It's kind of nice to be able to visit and plan, tour our yards to see what we need to do, whether it's removing the stakes from the ground, unwrapping the burlap from the trees, or getting into the tool shed and doing a collage of taking everything out, cleaning it, taking off the old dirt that if it wasn't cleaned in the fall, yeah, we all get busy. So it's a beautiful sunny day to clean out the shed, sharpen the tools, maybe give them a little bit of a clean and dust off and assess maybe some of the things that we need to um, do. It's right. Everything was, do I have my bone meal? Do I have uh, my granular? Do I have alfalfa? Or is there a little bit of compost that's in the garden shed that didn't make it into the garden that we need to add for an amendment before we start to plant? So to plan to garden is huge because it makes 
sort of getting into the garden a little bit easier. You target the activities or the things that you have to do. If you haven't been able to get some of that pruning done, uh, there is a little bit of opportunity where if you can take light prunings of things down or if you can get into your gardens and start uh, tidying things up gently. But when I say gently, it's almost like let's remove things that have blown into the yard that should not be there. And I would be cautious yet about removing or cutting down perennials or removing too much leafy matter because we have to think of the beneficial bugs that are beneath that are going to be harboring because we do have some cool days ahead. And if we open those up, we're exposing them. Let them have a little bit of a coziness until the time is right. But it gives you the opportunity to plan, to see where things need to be done. Yes, it also too gives you some indication that there's some perennials, believe it or not, that are actually coming up. Now, we've had a few inquiries as, should all my perennials be up now? Or, hey, my tulips are coming up way too fast. What do I do? Well, there are sort of two classifications of perennials. Perennials that like to come up in the cooler temperatures. Yeah, they're starting to emerge and come up. And then there's warm season perennials who definitely do not like to show any of themselves until they know intrinsically. Okay, when I say they know, yes, they're a plant. But internally, they know when the earth warms and it's going to stay consistently warm. Do you know which plant that could be? Have you ever seen hostas come up early? No. Hostas. And there's another one that I know. Eupatorium or Joe Pie is what I like to call it. These plants, they don't show themselves until they start coming up, until that earth is so warm that they know that they can unfurl their leaves and stay up nice and glorious in the sun. Because A, if you have emerging plants that do come up fast. They may be touched by a little bit of frost, and that's your hostess, because we know in the fall, as soon as you get frost, they are the first leaves that fall, and maybe the tidiest to clean up. So if you want to slow down your perennials, if you have a little bit of snow lying around, you can slow things down by covering them up with some of that snow, just to give them that little bit of chilling. That's a quick, sort of easy way of getting them to slow down or the natural part of it is if you keep the leaves on top of the soil and the leaves around your garden they're actually insulating and keeping that coldness locked in yes when we say keeping the coldness locked in but they're also insulating the bugs that are there because there's a different temperature between the air and the earth that's in there that just keeps nature growing and keeps it on its regime and its time of when it needs to develop. Right? You got me? All right. I know I see a lot of my perennials there. Some of them are poking up and some I'm thinking, gee, maybe I've lost them. So it's way too soon to decide to uh, put new stuff in or to see if it's coming up. We have to wait. And our target is still May long weekend. It is Winnipeg. And yeah, sometimes we've seen it as some people call us winter peg, but it makes us hardier and stronger and we grow the things that are there. So just remember, we can still get some frost, so we have to be cautious about what we're doing. If you were out and on your jots and jaunts going to your garden centers, 
um, hold off a little bit if, you know, they'd like to be able to uh, show you all the new different things. But most perennials and annuals don't do well growing in homes. You will see a little bit of a demise to them. But if you have the opportunity to have grow lights and fans and extra lighting that you can put on them, there's an opportunity for maybe some of those rare items that may be just the popular item that are, is out there. Now, when we go back, there's a few things that I wanted to sort of talk about. Last week, and I know that we had a, an email that came to us, is showing us pictures of their uh, spruce and evergreen trees. This came from Faye Harms, and it's one of the conversations that we need to get into. All right, you are listening to the Lawn and Garden Journal, and we're talking about evergreen spruce trees, junipers. Now, Faye sent me a picture of her spruce tree where it looks like the top portion of it has been browned off. This could be, it's something that uh, they planted a few years ago, and they noticed that the tops of their trees have this brown, orangish hue to them. We see this in some aspects when uh, the moisture that is on trees and shrubs, you have to remember, evergreens have this waxy feeling that's to them, and it's not like the soft leaves that drop. These plants hold moisture in the structure of these needles and into their rooting systems. So yes, you might not think, how can these little needles hold moisture? But they do. And the purpose of this is in the fall, the importance is getting moisture to the rooting system so that they're able to go through the winter with as much moisture that they can. And with the winter winds, and sometimes it's the winter winds with combination of reflective snow. Reflective snow off of the snow bounces and it actually will open up some of the the cells of the leaves or the needles and the plant will then respire or lose some of that moisture through its needles. And when the winter winds come, it's almost like a desiccant. It dries out those tips and those branching. So what I want you to do is on your jaunt today, yep, Take your tea, take your coffee, or maybe your orange juice. Go for a walk about in the yard. And if you start to see that there's this orangish, brownish cast that's happening, we want to get some moisture into the ground around not just the spruce trees, not just the evergreens, but everything. The water table is very low, and they are reaching down deep for the moisture, and soon... You can almost probably see some of the varieties of trees that are starting to have their buds swell. They are grasping for moisture. So get your hoses out if you can and get some moisture into the ground. If the severity, like I think, Faye, I'm going to say as much as your picture shows that it's very curled, the lead leader, and that's the straight up portion of your tree, it looks like it has a demise. I'm sorry to tell you, but... Even on through here, um, I just noticed that it was Brad that was using uh, Faye's email. So, hi, Brad. Good morning. I hope you're listening. Now, on the portions that are severely brown, there is bud sets on your evergreens that are produced in the past season. If those bud sets have survived and the needles have gone, your bud sets will open up green and it will take a few years for it to cover up the browning effect. Now, if the lead growth 
of your spruce trees are strongly affected. In nature itself, an evergreen tree or a spruce tree will produce a secondary lead that will step in there and say, okay, I know something's happened to our first leader. I'll step in and become the new leader. You might have a little bit of a wiggle waggle wow in the top, but at least your evergreen will grow. Just think of it as the goose at the front of the V. He's, get, he's gotten tired. He steps back and someone else takes the course and allows that growth to keep going. So it's important. Now, also too, some people have been asking, do I start fertilizing? Do I start putting all this stuff down? Do not fertilize yet because there still is a dormancy pattern. Okay, I hope that's it. Hey, we have a caller. Nadia's on the line. Hi, good morning, Nadia. Good morning. Good morning. How are you and where are you calling from? Uh, from Winnipeg. Well, hello, Winnipeg. We've got a nice sunny morning, don't we? Oh, we do. It's beautiful outside. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I was wondering about the uh, um, Lawn uh, Half-Cap uh, Borel Beauty. Does it, if I have a cherry tree close by, does it still need uh, another one to to produce the fruit? You're Sorry, you're looking for a pollinator for a cherry? No, no. I want to know if the uh, lawn, uh, lawn has capped the Burrell Beauty. Will it produce fruit if I have a cherry tree close by? Yeah, it should. Because last year I, I didn't get any. Off of your has caps? Yeah. Oh, okay, but how old is um, how old is the Haskap? Uh, about three years. I had it the first year when I bought it, and it had a few berries on it. So I thought, oh, great. So I planted it, and, uh, and I didn't get any the last couple of years. Okay. Um, are you getting any flowering off of it? Is no, fla- nothing. Are you get- you're nothing. not getting any flowers. Okay. And do you have it in a sunnier location? Yes. Yeah? Yeah. Well, maybe if it's in a certain area, sometimes some plants sort of slow down that's on there. But um, I'm just thinking if you need another plant that's in there. That I'm not too sure. Mm. Just hang on. Um, You know, because usually if you're not getting the flowers, you need be not be getting a pollinator that's on there. Yeah, yeah, because the first year it was really beautiful. And yeah. I mean, the leaves, everything is good, like last year, and uh, but it it just just wouldn't produce the fruit. Yeah. Okay. Because generally, when you're looking at certain ca- uh, classifications of plants, mm-hmm. you require a cross pollination. So mm-hmm. if I would probably suggest that instead of going with the cherry, you need another variety of hascap in order for that fruit to become compatible within it. Okay. Yeah, I would probably, you know what, if you have room in the garden, mm-hmm. uh, get a second variety of hascap for that cross-pollination. Okay. Okay? Okay. Okay. And how far apart should they be about? Well, I would probably, with the hascaps, I'd be three to four feet apart. I like putting things a little bit further apart so that I can get, get my between, garden hoe yeah. in there, keep the weeds down, and then you're not overcrowding. Yeah. Okay, thank you very much, and you have a great day, and God bless you. Okay, thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. It's, there's just that the thing is, if we're looking at different types of uh, plants and, and the way that we're planting things, looking at the structures of things and leaving the space for plants' growth is even as important as planting the plant by itself. 
you know. Um, you want to be able to have that diversity of plant structure. And sometimes looking at different types of plants and putting them to, beside each other is a beneficial thing. It, not only are you looking at uh, the plants themselves, but you're getting a, maybe a little bit of different taste. And it's something like if you're... Um, you know, if you get it, two types of raspberries or something, you can blend them together to make the perfect jam. So why not have two varieties of hascaps? Because one might be a little sweeter than the other. Who knows, right? All right. We've gotten back to, uh, if the lines are open here, 1-800-374-3315. But the importance of watering right now, and the other thing that comes to mind is a... Uh, allowing the plants to come through their dormancy on their own by watering. Yes, nature gives us the rain and it slowly wakens up the plants beneath it. Water too, yes I know, applied at this time will actually help to thaw some of the, the ground that's underneath, bring out some of the frost, so it can help promote earlier thawing of plants. And also, the one thing that I see that is the most demise, and I don't like talking about demise, but Sump hoses. Oh my gosh. Okay. I'm going to be the first one that says I cringe when I see sump hose discharge water onto gardens and trees and shrubs. Okay. I'm going to sort of wiggle my little finger and say, please don't do that. Discharge sump hoses from the house are a lot warmer. And it's different than you're using cold water on the ground than pushing hot water onto a ground. It should not, it's, I'm just going to say, it should not be done. Take the sump hose, let it go onto the, the, the lawn or in the swale between your homes because that is discharge water that just doesn't act well. And did you know that discharge water, if it's constantly going in certain areas, it doesn't give those trees and those shrubs and maybe those plants, the time to breathe and waken up. So a lot of plants, and I know specifically uh, like uh, Japanese tree lilacs, ivory silk lilac, they do not like soggy feet. So discharging sump hoses and repeatedly watering some plants can cause a demise to those plants. So redirect that to a different area. Um, or if there's an area that you could put it into a holding tank and just leave it and use it for the garden somewhere else that you can just put it in the watering can, use it that way. But discharge water from a house on the bottom can also be uh, have other things, like if there's discharge that's going into the weeping, it could be high in uh, lime, which is not good because it's, if it's running the lime off of the home or the concrete beneath, it's just not something that I kind of endorse. Okay? <laughs> All right. Now... With your cedars and your evergreens, let's get the burlap off them. Let's get the stakes out of the ground. Give them a little bit of a wiggle and let the tree stand and breathe and open up because they will enjoy that. They'll enjoy the fresh air as well. So that is my rant on watering right now. All right. Now, did you know that, yes, this is a very important weekend for gardening because it is Earth Day is coming up, right? But did you know... Here's one thing. It's kind of like the ticker tape of the news that's in it. You may have heard that 2022 has been designated the year of the garden. Wow, that's that's awesome. And I think the benefits of putting in and growing a garden is so beneficial. 
And I think you've heard me say before that gardening makes you build muscle. Yeah, I can tell you. We've been doing a lot of gardening here and I can feel it in these old bones. It gives you the motivation. It lifts you. I could tell you the early walk that I did through the Quonsets this morning. I think I was snapping pictures left and right because it motivates you. It inspires you. And it makes you take pause to enjoy the colors that are there. And I had to say, the one Quonset that we're growing are strawberries, the ever-bearing and the June-bearing strawberries. They are producing some fruits on the ever-bearing. And I did have a nibble or two this morning of some fresh strawberries. You will too when you see them in your garden. But the year of the gardening for 2022, here's the importance of it. We're seeing a resurgence of more gardening, people gardening and getting into gardening. Why not? Grow your own food. Yes. How many people invested in and in putting more food into their freezers this year? You know, canning, pickling. It's so tasty when you can make and grow your own. I remember years back when my daughter started to appreciate the growth and benefit of planting her own garden. I remember the phone call and saying, Mom, this carrot tastes awesome. But yes, homegrown is all the best. So did you know that it, there's an increase in gardening in, in the prairies, which we see because it's an activity. It's an activity that you can get outside, you can enjoy, you can improve the quality of your life both physically and mentally. So it's a thumbs up, thumbs up. If you want to encourage gardening, take your grandchildren into the backyard. It might not start off with by growing the plants, though they are amazed to see marigolds grow very fast if you start them indoors. They'll be amazed when they pick the first string of peas and enjoy the tastiness of them. It's fun. It's an activity that you can do with them, and it's a memory that you're creating. So gardening is a win-win for all. And if we know that gardening 2022 is the year of the garden, wow. Just imagine the color that people are going to put into their garden to appreciate and say, we have a beautiful world. All right. When you are listening to the Lawn and Garden Journal, the lines are open. 1-800-374-3315. Now, I just want to take a pause because as I was talking about my daughter growing her carrots in her first garden and giving me that explanation of, wow, whatever, this tastes so good. I grew this. It's so yummy. There was a question. I just flipped through some of my papers and Frida Lowen had sent me an email and she was, um, I got the explanation, but I didn't get the picture, but she was wondering why her carrots come out deformed. She said that they have a raised bed. It's about 20 inches deep. And she's always using the Scarlet Nantes uh, carrots. Now, there is something about deformed carrots. I know that we've all kind of gotten them. And it's kind of got this cutesy kind of weird look to them. You all know if you've grown a carrot before, you may have been adventurous enough to see the twists, the turns, the, the, the dual branching. Maybe, it, you know, as uh, Ruby had sometimes said, hey, yeah, yeah, look, it's got legs. 
So it walks across. So there is a deformity aspect that you can get from some of the carrots that are in there. Yeah, there you might even seen that the twist of two carrots hugging each other. It's kind of comical, but it's kind of neat too. But if you want that classic carrot that's on there, soil preparation is number one to putting it in. So there's certain aspects that you want with the carrot to grow elongated downward into the soil in order to be able to have the nutrients and the nitrogen. And they are, some vegetables can be very sensitive to nitrogen and react also to these micronutrients that will cause sometimes some deformity. So in order for carrots, and I always remember uh, my grandmother, my other grandmother in Russell, Manitoba, she would have me go and I loved gardening and here's the other side. She would ask in the late fall as we went up there, do you want to till up and pull up the carrots? Well, have you ever pulled up a four foot wide patch and 25 feet long of carrots? I think I was digging and pitchforking carrots for the entire day. But you have to remember when you pitchfork them, you have to clean them. So there was a whole other aspect of it. But I remember digging down deep with the pitchfork and break. Yeah, sure. I broke a few of those carrots, but going into the soil and getting those nice deep carrots pulled up. So there is a solution, uh, making sure that your soil can be problematic because there's maybe, um, too dense. Maybe lighten up your soil, prepare your beds, sift through and remove those heavy clogs of dirt. And if it's too much, uh, density, you want to amend your soils. By amending, you can add some peat moss in there, add some compost. Oh, sea soil. I'm a strong endorser of sea soil. I love it. It's a composted product that is rendered with uh, fish byproducts. So not only are you getting some nutrients and some loam that's in there, you're getting some nutrient base for it's on it. And you want to be careful because too much nitrogen is not good for carrots as well, all right? It's proven that if in that you'll get these fingerlings that have this diversity of color. That's kind of like the roots. Not only will you get a three-legged, you'll get a two-legged, all right? Dense planting. You have to be able to thin out your carrots as well. So when you're looking at it, uh, sometimes if you're, okay, here, it just came to mind. There are uh, row tapes, like seeding tape. It's actually seeds and you can sometimes get it in carrots and you can sometimes get it in radishes where if carrot seeds are very tiny. And I know when you drop a seed, you go, oh my gosh, I just dropped 12 seeds in one hole. So this is where you have to go back afterwards and do a little bit of thinning on your carrots. So if you're in the, uh, if you've got some of your seed uh, carried over, Sure, that's great. If not, if you can get into the garden centers that you're visiting and find uh, seed tapes. Seed tapes come on a ribbon of biodegradable fabric that when you lay them into your rows of your garden, they are equally nicely spaced apart. I love it for radishes too because, yep, that's another one that kind of gets in the aspect that you're over seeding and then you're having to weed and thin some out. So give those space because of course, if those carrots don't have the space, they're going to intertwine and hug each other. And that's where you're going to get the twisting, the multi-branching that's on it. 
Weeds too. You want to always make sure that you take your weeds down because some of the weed seeds that are out there, their rooting systems can be equally as big as the carrots. All right. Transplanting. We usually don't transplant carrots. We probably sow them directly to the garden. So those are just a little bit of uh, hints and tips for you in that aspect. Okay, so I hope we helped you out with some of your uh, questions or some of the concerns. But I think mostly uh, if the soil, and I know that uh, I know that Winnipeg soils and around our areas, soils are very clay-based. They can be very compact. That's why we're always encouraging the soil preparation for our gardens. And it has that reversion, even after a couple years or so, the density and the compact of the clays will cause that binding factor. So you can either, um, there's a product out there, you've probably seen it at some of the garden centers, called Clay Buster. It's a uh, product that it allows the debinding of some of our clay soils. It has to be reapplied uh, probably on a yearly basis that's on it because, yes, once we get moisture in our gardens, it, they have a tendency to find each other and bind up again. Other things in soil preparation, and this might be a good thing to talk about because, yeah, pretty soon in the couple weeks ahead, we're hoping to be in our garden. So why not talk about not only cleaning up the gardens, but weeding the gardens? Because, yes, the weeds are usually the first things that appear. So peat moss is a great amendment. Clay buster, perfect. There's a gypsum, it's gypsum based. You can either get it as a spray on water or if it's a powder base, I like to lay the powder on, put the peat moss on as well. If I'm going to add anything else, I layer it like a cake and then I turn it in once after I've done my weeding. And then when it is time to garden, oh, what a difference. And the other thing too, do it in advance so it doesn't seem like everything is staged and rushed. I like to be able to layer things and do things in a regime that if I can do this in advance, it makes my planting day so much funner. So, let's see. Peat moss, we've talked about it. Sea soil, for sure. You know I love it. And I've even used sea soil as a little reminder. I've even uh, did a little test with sea soil direct into my window boxes with my herbs. If you listened last year, you may have heard me uh, speak about it. And oh my gosh, they love my herbs loved it. And I should say, oh my gosh, my husband loved it too because the culinary aspects of my husband, he's the cooker, I'm the gardener. Mushroom compost. Now... This is something that you can delve into because if there's mushroom compost, it's actually a very beneficial product too as well because we're using them as byproducts and usually with the mushroom compost, you get rendered down straw and gypsum and poultry manure. Yes. Now, you heard me talk about chicken. Can I say poop? Okay. There's chicken byproducts too that are good for the garden we just have to remember too if you're using your manures and we like our steer and sheep manures too to add amendments to the soil it's one of those things that we have to be cautious and if you are using uh, manures that are should I say fresh be very cautious they are very high uh, in uric and 
nitrogens. So you want to make sure that if you're getting some composted manure, that it's well composted because A, applying too strong on young manure compost can cause burning. Even on the aspect of well composted manures, they have a tendency to produce, if you're overusing it, you will get lush gardens, you will get lush growth, but it kind of has an effect on our planting, on our fruiting portion of it, that it will not allow the fruiting and flowering aspect. So we also see some people that come in and say, the plant is beautiful, it's green, it's lush, it's huge. What have I done wrong? And sometimes the question and the investigation of where things go is maybe the manures were applied too heavily. So little is better. And then when you reapplied it at a later date, that could even be beneficial. All right, so we've talked about sheep, cow, fish, and uh, there's also, did you know worm castings? Yes, worm castings come naturally in the garden. And because they're natural, that if you see that there's worms in the garden, they are doing the beneficial aspect of it. You can get worm castings, which are great for the garden. They're great for even indoor houseplants by doing a little bit of a tilt thing in when you're doing your transplanting of your houseplants. I like it. But just think, all those worms are doing all that work for you. Not only are they giving you worm castings, which are worm poop, they are actually burrowing and creating these holes in the ground. And if you know the plant growth structure of our environment, Plants like and need the earth to support their roots. They need the earth for the nutrients that they're given from it. Yes, that's the earth castings. But the worms beneath are burrowing and creating holes as they barge through and creating air spaces. So the air spaces, because the roots have to come up for air now and then to breathe. They can't always be underwater, but unless they're a water plant, that's where the aspects of growing is great. It's all about knowing what to grow, when to grow it, when to apply it. And that's why we're here. We're growing together. There's lots to learn on the Lawn Garden Journal. And on closing, I am a gardener. A long broom in hand sweep the floors in the gay mornings. I have no tears for petals scattered here and there. Their fragrance is lost. They will make my garden dirty. I will look at the glimmering buds waiting to bloom. The bees with the finely tuned lips sit on the dew-cooled flowers, smelling their youth of spring. My dreams come true. The garden twinkles with love. I sparkle in joy, the price of sweat gained. I am quite indifferent. Trees born and die. The new comes, the old departs. I can watch the plants in me, flowering, ripening, dying. When, ruse, ro when roses weep and jasmine smile, I keep my garden safe from cattle. I am a lover of my garden. I don't grieve on flowers when they sleep forever. Brings fun for me. The next day, the other blossoms keep waiting to bloom. We'll be back next week on the Lawn Garden Journal. Bye-bye, everyone.